Ladies and gentlemen, the spectacular Spider-Man! Face it, Tiger. You just hit the jackpot. Otto Octavius was weak. Call me Dr. Octopus! From now on, we're poison to Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Welcome back to another episode of Spectacular Radio. I'm Zach Joyner, your friendly neighborhood webmaster and executive producer for Spidey-Dude.com and the Spidey Dude Radio Network. As always, we have Mr. Greg Bushansky. Hey, how's it going? And Gerard Delatour. What's good, Nud? All right, before we get to the meat of the episode and the bulk of the episode, I wanted to uh, address some feedback that we've received. Right, Greg? Indeed. We have an so, email. Uh, okay, we have an email, and I believe you said we have a voicemail? We have a voicemail! Oh, my God! We like this. Send more. <laughs> yes, yes. All right, so... Uh, this gentleman is, uh, his name is Leon, and uh, he left us a voicemail recently on CSE. He actually acknowledges this in his voicemail. Here it is. We'll, we'll play it first, and then we'll respond. Hey, guys. At uh, Spectacular Radio, this calls for Spectacular Radio. This is Leon from New York. I've called in for Coincide Chronicles, and I just listened to the Reinforcements fan panel uh, while filling up the work. I wasn't doing much anything, so I <clears throat> threw on the show and listened, and um, you guys were fiending for voicemails. Um, yeah, you were mentioning you only had one on the show, so I thought I'd call and give you a ring and, and let you know. Hey, uh, I'm loving the show, and I, I always have. It's great to just have uh, the, the, the setup, the structure of the show is great, because you get the fan panel, you know, the fan pedantic um, thoughts that I love. That's what, you know, comics are about. You know, Gerard's uh, scandalous opinions on Craven Lesson. I think it's 50%. Agree on. I think he's right that a jobbing villain is what makes Craven really great. But on the other hand, I also uh, I actually am on Greg's side that I think beefing him up uh, is not something I'm averse to, but whatever. I'm getting myself. But the fan panel setup where you guys get to be a little pedantic about the episodes and, and also like gush, and then talking with all of uh, Greg's insiders, you know, as all his Hollywood connections in the other ones, and getting um, a real insider look at the episodes. It's a, it's a great show. And it's a real great gift to the internet that when you guys are done, when people are watching Spectacular Spider-Man five, six years from now, you know, whenever, they can always go back and listen along with every episode and get this view. And, and that's the great thing about uh, podcasts, just in general. But with this one in particular, really is a great little, you know, look into episode by episode that people can do. And Spectacular Spider-Man, pardon me, for me, sorry, I just had a phantom. It's super burpy. Pause it. Uh, <laughs> Um, for me, it's one of my Spider-Man sweet spots. You know, in terms of animation, I think Spectacular Spider-Man is, you know, the peak, and it's my Spider-Man sweet spot. Love the 90s show, like you guys do, and I have a lot of sentimental and nostalgia for it. I also think it's pretty good at some points, but I think Spectacular Spider-Man just is really well done. And for me, my, my sweet spots with Spider-Man are animation, Spectacular, live-action Toby, and then in uh, the comics, the J.M.D. Mateus and Sal Buscema runs on Spectacular. Those are my three, my three sweet spots. And I was just wondering for you guys, 
um, just as a spectacular radio question, what are your sweet spots? I mean, obviously, Greg's going to say for animation, spectacular, but are there any other animation sweet spots? Again, probably 90 show. But, um, you know, maybe I'm not a video gamer, but maybe video games, stuff like that. Where, What in all the different mediums is just like when you, when you get something spidey and you're just like, I'm home. You know, this <laughs> this this is, uh, you know, this is good shit, and it's just, it, it feels... It feels good on a Spider-Man level. That's what spectacular Spider-Man does. It gives you that feeling that none of the shit coming out now makes you feel like just like fuck. This is what Spider-Man should be. This is good stuff, you know. So, what's your sweet spots in Spider-Man? I love to hear that from the crew. Hey, thank you again for the show, and uh, have a great day, guys. Much obliged. All right. Wow. First of all, thank you. What a great voicemail, right? Right, guys. Oh yeah. Oh, definitely. I loved hearing that. Thank you so much, Leon. And sorry about that whole Lonigan thing on the other podcast. But and I'm addressing this to everyone else. If you leave us a mo- voicemail, but you don't sign a name, we will give you a name. <laughs> uh, I loved but, how we like like his voicemail cut off, but like J- Josh is like, mm, now I I'll take this and like he basically interpreted he like he like mind melded with him and was able to determine what he was actually talking about which was kind of funny uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah no this is look um sweet spots for Spider-Man Gerard I'll let you go first well okay i got he 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 rattled off a few uh, examples of different kind of genres that we can go with so i'm going to i'm going to try to hit as many of these as possible okay so, so as far as uh, animation goes, I think I think I speak for you, Zach, too. The '90s show for sure, yeah. but uh, I also really like the early '80s series. Not Amazing Friends, which is all right, but I really like the uh, the syndicated one that was on around the same time. Oh yeah, that was a good. Although uh, the <laughs> the Doctor Doom plot was a, a little strange that they kept weaving it in and out of episodes. So you'd have the Doctor Doom episode, and then maybe two or three others, and then another Doctor Doom episode, and then two or three others, and another do- it, strange format, but really like that one. Uh, as far as movies go, yep, I gotta gotta make a vote for the Raimi trilogy. Yes, I said trilogy. I like all three movies. Come at me. <laughs> I like three. I don't hate three. Three has problems, but I don't hate it. It's the same. It's my same thing that I, I feel like with Homecoming. Homecoming and three are, are in the same realm to me. There's some problems with it. But overall, I enjoyed my viewing experience. I even at first enjoyed my viewing experience with ASM2, but the problem was was that film had so many problems that were glaring that I was like, no, this really sucks. No, no, ASM2 is duty. Yeah. <laughs> it it smells it's it, it smells worse than that crap I took twenty minutes ago, and I ate <laughs> boiled eggs this morning. <laughs> I mean, like, I admit, like, admit ASM one fooled me for a little while. ASM two kind of, I hated as soon as I walked out of it, and it kind of highlighted the problems with ASM one that I didn't notice the first time. I like Grandeur Garfield, and I like Emma Stone, but they were saddled with a terrible script. And I, I love the I love the costume in ASM two, but. I hated the I hated the costume in ASM one. Hated it. Like I, I I accepted it. I tolerated it. But overall, I just disliked it so bad. Um, but the yeah. Raimi film the Raimi films to me still capture the heart of Spider Man. Uh, Spider Man three is not the fault of I think the filmmakers in so much as it is the fault of the studio. Yeah, not a real argument here. Um, yeah. I, I will say Spider-Man 2 is the particular standout of the three. And uh, 
uh, I, I have to admit to some, I won't say nostalgia, but these the movies in particular mean something to me because they kind of parallel where I was in my in my life at that exact time. Because 2002, I graduated high school, and that was when the first movie came out, and Peter graduates high school and goes off to college and stuff, and it was kind of almost parallel there. And of course, 2004 is, is a was a really good time in my life, and I think Spider-Man 2 was kind of the capper for what was... The time between those two movies was a kind of quick, short return to form for Spider-Man after years in the comics of mediocrity to outright badness. You know what yeah. I mean? No, no, I mean, because that was the start of the JM, first part of the JMS run. Right, right, right. Just in that time period when they kind of made the movie official more or less, which is around the time that JMS was taking over, if I recall correctly. And then it was when they were, like, shooting the movie and stuff. And then until Spider-Man 2 was released, was a really great time to be a Spider-Man fan. I think yeah. I, I, I can't help but feel that residual uh, pleasantness whenever I rewatch those movies because it reminds me of that time period a lot. Uh, and another sweet spot for me game-wise because he said he's not a gamer, but I'll give a video game anyway. Uh, this is one that I replayed recently. I didn't go all the way through, but it holds up incredibly well, which is Spider-Man Web of Shadows on the PS3 and Xbox 360. Wow. Yeah. That game holds up very, very, very well, uh, especially the combat, which is aged beautifully. I, I wish more games did what that game tried to do combat-wise. And, and just to give a quick run... Uh, a description for anybody who hasn't played it. The the combat in that game specifically broke down to three areas. You could fight guys on, on the ground, you could fight guys in the air, and you could fight guys sort of on the sides of buildings. And what they did was they allowed you to transition between them rather easily by using his webbing as a sort of tra uh, as a transitional move. So you could say, be on the ground, uppercut a guy into the air, follow him up, hit him a few times, hit him with a web, fling him into a wall, and, and fight him there, you know, that kind of thing. And it was, right. uh, God, God, I wish that had been carried over into other Spider-Man games, but unfortunately that studio only made that one in particular. Well, hopefully the, upcoming game, hopefully the upcoming game will will be just as good. Oh, it look it looks great. It really does. Yeah, I, 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 it, there are a couple of things that are making me tug my collar. I'm a little comfortable about, but we'll see as we get closer. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, the brand new Dave references and the, the Arkham-style combat. Why does everyone always compare this combat to the Arkham games? Like, <laughs> first of all, the Arkham games didn't innovate that kind of combat. Uh, well, I mean, Persia did, but more right. more, spe more specifically, I think it. it... <sighs> yeah, the brand new day stuff is uncomfortable, but also the the tease of Miles Morales at the end and their promise that that's not all that that was makes me uncomfortable, and I don't I don't want to have him be a playable character and have you switch between the two of them. I just want to be Spider-Man, please. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't mind if you have like a whole series of side missions that are like not non-linear with Miles, kind of like the way they did with the Green Goblin with the first Spider-Man, uh, the movie game. Ironically enough, voiced by Josh Keaton. Uh, that was actually a that was a bonus mode. That wasn't a side mission thing. Oh, hey, yeah, but, who, and, and wait, who's Josh Keaton voicing these days? <laughs> Norman freaking Osborn. <laughs> we uh, have to get him back on the show just to ask him about that. <laughs> yeah, we do. Uh, uh, how his career kind of... But I, it, see, in the game, he voiced Harry. 
Right? Well, well, no, 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 no. Take a step back. In the game, originally he voiced Spider-Man. That's right. And then they got they got Tobey Maguire to agree to come in and do it. So they instead of just throwing out all of his voice work, which they had already recorded and you know paid for, they just decided all right. They had him come back, record some more lines as Harry, and then recycled all of his dialogue as Spider Man into yeah. that bonus mode where you play as the Green Goblin. Right, 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 right. Yep. Because it was at, like after you completed the game, that was like a, a hidden unlock feature. Yes, so you could replay the whole story as the Green Goblin, the Harry Harry as the Green Goblin, I should state. Right. And then with 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 all the same, he's saying all the same dialogue, but it, with a new voice because it has Josh Keaton's voice this time. Mm-hmm. So, so that was yeah. a fun. Uh, like in terms of gaming for me, I, the 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 Spider Man people like equated to Spider Man the animated series, but it was the Spider Man PS One game that. Uh, also came out oh, on PC, yeah. and uh, in, I, I played it on the Nintendo 64. Like, wow. I remember playing that horrendous Superman 64 game, <laughs> and it was bad. <laughs> you want to uh, save your friend, Superman? Solve my maze. <laughs> solve my maze, Superman. Like... Uh, I watched a video on that recently about why that was so bad, and I'm like, uh, Warner Brothers, you just don't know when to well enough to leave stuff alone. Anyway, um, yeah, that, that was a, the, the Spider-Man on the PS1, PC, N64. That game was great for its time, although I have to admit it does not age. It has not aged well at all. Yeah, no, no, it has not. Like it was great during that period, but it like. Um, uh, the game, the Super Mario Run on my phone looks better graphically than than <laughs> Nintendo sixty four version of Spider Man. Well, but, to be to be fair, that's true of most games from that time period because the uh, early three D era had a rather ugly aesthetic to it. Yes, it did. Uh, uh, now, there's one game we have not mentioned, and that's the Spider Man Two Raimi film game. Mm. Uh, that was on PlayStation 2, loved that game. That was the first open-world, Grand Theft Auto open-world style uh, Spider-Man game that really just was awesome. And then I lost that... my balloon! Oh, I, hate those. <laughs> I, hated, I hated those missions. That was, um, another one that, that was another one that I replayed recently, and uh, <laughs> Greg, you, you might remember this. I triumphantly posted a photo on Facebook after I had actually successfully managed to catch one of those kids' balloons. <laughs> yes, you did. Yes, you it did. was like capturing lightning in a bottle during a solar eclipse or something. <laughs> was, my I'll God, I got the balloon. Uh, you know, we recently had an eclipse, and we didn't have any. Nobody got any superpowers. I was kind of sad. Uh, <laughs> uh, that you know of. Oh, sorry. Obviously, have, they wouldn't have, be flaunting it out in the public, Zach. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, here, right. and here so, I and, and here I was during the eclipse, hoping to sacrifice the people I love to attain my ultimate demonic form. That's a berserk reference for those of you sickos out there like me. Um. <laughs> uh, Let's see, uh, and then of I, course uh, the uh, aforementioned Web of Shadows. I, I actually liked the Shadow Dimensions and uh, Web of Time, uh, Edge of Time games. Thought they were really well done. Yes, oh, they, yeah. something something written by Slot or Slot contributed that was actually well done. Zach, I'm going to say something that might shock you. Um, I don't think there's been a bad Spider-Man game in like ten years. 
really the, o- the only thing I don't like oh. about Web of Shadows was the voice acting. Yeah, Spider-Man had a very whiny voice, but Web of Shadows, uh, Shattered Dimensions, Edge of Time, and to be honest, I thought both Spider-Man movie games were good. I don't, yeah. Or, or both of the amazing Spider-Man movie games, I mean. Um, yeah. I, they're all good games. I would, now, say sh- I, I would say Shattered Dimensions and Edge of Time are borderline great games. Now, I never played the, uh, the Spider-Man 3 game on PlayStation 3. I did play it on PlayStation 2, and that was, that was as garbage as... as uh, um, <laughs> that was as garbage as the Superman game for uh, Superman 64. <laughs> uh, on, on the PS3, Xbox 360 version is good, but it doesn't quite hold up to Sp- Spider-Man 2. Uh, right. It looks better. It looks better, but it runs really badly. Um, right. In case, in case you can't tell, I've actually recently replayed a hell of a lot of these games. Uh, uh, so, uh, Spider-Man 3 doesn't run particularly, and it relies a little too much on uh, bullet time stuff, so it, it uh, it's a very annoying mechanic. Uh, now, which one... Um, I I know that Edge... Well, obviously, I know that Edge of Time and Web of... Sh- uh, and uh, Shattered Dimensions had Ben Riley-centric characters. Um, obviously, Josh Keaton worked on Shattered Dimensions. Did he work on Edge of Time? Yes. Yeah, he did. He, he was Peter and... And uh, Christopher Daniel Barnes is uh, Miguel. Yeah. Okay. So obviously we we're going to have a soft spot for those for those two games because of we of our affinity for Mr. Keaton. Uh, and I have to give him credit since this is the first time we've we've talked since they started the new show. Um, because spoiler alert, we're doing this a little yeah. Anyway, uh, Josh does a good good does a pretty decent Norman Osborn. I gotta give him, I gotta give him props. So, yeah, he um, does. I've, I've listened to a little bit of it. Um, but uh, comics for me, obviously the '90s uh, TV show, the the '90s and um, uh, the '90s show and this show, honestly, are my two favorites. Um, to be completely honest, I, I never watched. I watched a little bit of the '81 cartoon. I was like, all right, this, this isn't bad. I've watched. A, I've watched uh, Miss Angelica Jinx. Um, <laughs> that was amazing, friends. <laughs> that would be amazing, friends. Uh, I actually had that on VHS. So, a fire star is born. Yes, I had the, I had that I had that on VHS. So, uh, with with <laughs> foreshadowing for Hugh Jackman being cast as Wolverine, the Australian Wolverine for reasons. Uh, <laughs> calling wonder, people dingo, calling people dingoes and stuff. Yeah, like, like he was I'm, he was very Australian for some reason. Yeah. Bit, uh, bit of trivia for y'all all about there: Wolverine's first line of dialogue outside of the comics ever on TV was "Hello, want a piece of fruit?" <laughs> <laughs> and I guess they re- they retained that for the Pride of the X Men pilot that they did too. But uh, yeah, that's because it reused the same voice, guys. Yeah, but yeah. um. Honestly, though, uh, I mean, 2000, 2002, from the time the Mackey era ended to the the end of, of J.R. Jr. On, on with the JMS run was really solid. Uh, I love Mike Diodato's artwork. Um, I didn't like Sins Past. Uh, I liked a handful of this, I, I, I liked a handful of stories. I was one of those guys was like, oh, yeah, Spider-Man's the Avengers, and I want to go back and slap myself in the face. Uh, if I could talk to him now, that person now, uh, I would slap him in the face. Be like, you don't know what you've done. 
Anyway. Um, so My sweet spots. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Can, can, I, can I throw one in there? Because uh, Zach had actually stopped me before I got to comics. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Post-Colon Saga pre-reboot. Oh, you're taking some of my answers, you two. <laughs> but okay, here are my sweet spots. I mean, one of my top spotty sweet spots for comics is the post-Clone Saga pre-reboot era. I love that era. That was a fun time to read comics. I mean, granted, I did enjoy the Ben Riley era, but that, that era just felt so much like back to form with without trashing the Ben Riley era, because I wouldn't do that. I mean, hell, we have a great time on CSC talking about it. I also enjoy the post the post Mackie all the way up to again since past era and era so that would be um what was it 2001 2002 to 2004 which ended when Ramitas Jr left the book and also around the end of um the Marvel Knights 12 issue series that Mark Millar did which I think is the best Mark Millar comic ever and I don't like any of Mark Millar's other comics but I genuinely like that one <laughs> <laughs> So it's weird. Another uh, sweet spot for me, you both mentioned the 81 cartoon. That was the first cartoon I'd ever seen Spidey in. I mean, the animation wasn't good, but it also looked like John Romita's senior art. And I had two VHS tapes growing up. One which was uh, Doctor Doom, Master of the World, which is one of the Doctor Doom episodes there. And the other was um, a Green Goblin episode. There was also a Black Cat one, which I didn't see until years later. And Black Cat in the 81 cartoon sounded like the Baroness from G.I. Joe. <laughs> Oh, that's not a bad thing. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. But um, but yeah, I do remember the time because of that. I thought Doctor Doom was a major Spidey villain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah, that was the episode where he kidnaps all the world leaders, puts ships on the back on their necks to turn them into zombies, so they will all vote him to be leader of the world. <laughs> oh my goodness, you're right. You know, um, that was actually kind of adapted from an episode from a part of the from the opening story of the comic of the newspaper comic I guess I guess that, I'd have to take a look another sweet spot for me I'm not the biggest gamer but video game wise I do like the some of the games that you've mentioned but this wasn't mentioned at the time I had a lot of fun in the local arcade playing that Spider-Man arcade game you know the one where Spider-Man yes. Black Cat Hawkeye and Namor for some reason were the heroes <laughs> yes that was a fun game although I'd swap Namor out for Human Torture a game like that why was Namor there <laughs> Hawkeye Hawkeye is kind of random too to be honest I was... yeah, we're gonna have for, swap him yeah. out for Daredevil yeah have Spider-Man Black Cat uh, I don't know Daredevil and the Prowler if you want to have or Spider-Man related characters, or Torch. Yeah, or Torch. Or... Yeah. But it was a fun. It was a fun game. It's the only game I can think of that both the Green Goblin and the Hobgoblin in it. Yeah, probably. And you know, yeah, you change, there's also like a 50 foot Venom, a 50 foot Symbiote. Would that ever be done again? <laughs> Minimal carnage. <laughs> and yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I think Doctor Doom was the final boss in that. Gee, why did I think Doctor Doom was a major Spider-Man villain? <laughs> yeah, because you, go, you have to go to Latveria to get this MacGuffin thing that he steals. I mean, Kingpin steals it for him. Yeah, Doom makes Kingpin his bitch or something, which, it's Doom, so I'll, I'll buy it. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and movies-wise, I mean, 
I enjoy the first one, I enjoy the second one, I enjoyed Homecoming a lot. I'm, I'm almost at the point where I've made peace with the fact that I'm never going to get my perfect Spidey film, but those three movies are things I really like about them. There are some things about them that I don't quite like as much, but I can probably watch those three movies just about any time. I really enjoy them. And I, yeah, I would, out of all of them, I would put two at the top. Nice. Can I throw in one more video game because I'm a dummy and I, I, I have a bad memory? Yes. I forgot my favorite of all the Spider-Man games, which is uh, the Amazing Spider-Man versus the Kingpin on Sega Genesis. I I knew someone who had the Sega CD version with all the really bad voice acting in it. Oh, my goodness. The Sega CD version, just throw that out the window if you ever see a copy of it. <laughs> but but the, the Sega Genesis version is, is legitimately great. It, it, strangely, it's the only Spider-Man game where you take photos to make money. And and use the money to buy web fluid. I don't know why that's not a, a mechanic even today, but strange. Yeah, I, I, that's probably still to this day my favorite Spider-Man game. Yeah, it was a good game. I remember I, I rented that once. I didn't have a Sega Genesis, but I remember one weekend back then we rented a Sega Genesis and we rented that game. <laughs> yeah. there, there, there's another one that I have nostalgia for, but it's a terrible game, which is Spider-Man X-Men in Arcade Revenge. Arcade Revenge, oh my god. I, I remember I was so excited to get that for Christmas, and then it was a really bad game. I kept trying to beat it, just as I didn't want the, that goddamn game to beat me, but Storm's level was a nightmare. I've actually beaten that game, without without cheating or anything like that. I've legitimately beat it as a kid. Mountain it was insane Dew. and difficult. But... How much? How much Mountain Dew did he drink to pull that off? <laughs> I didn't. Try, I, I hate Mountain Dew, but I, I probably drank a lot of limeade because I remember it being during the summer. <laughs> oh yeah, I hate Mountain Dew. Also, the only time I ever drink it is when I'm on a long drive. I don't drink it for the taste. Well, yeah, you drink it because it's liquid crack. <laughs> Actually, I take that back. Surge was liquid crack. <laughs> Surge! Has anyone ever had that, tried that energy drink that was called cocaine that was on the market about a decade ago? <laughs> no, I, I, I don't. I don't think that that was on the uh, the at your average ordinary supermarket. I don't think it was called an energy drink. I think it was a white powder that you take, and, and they did a whole they did a whole documentary called Scarface. Yeah, I. <laughs> yeah, I used to have a, used to have Hello, a can my of, little friend. I used to have a can of that. I don't anymore. I just had it as a joke. I also had an unopened can of Billy beer, but that got lost in the move. Aww. <laughs> Billy beer. But um. But anyway, Leon, thank you for Le Leon. Thank you for the voicemail. We definitely want more of them. Zach, what's that number? Eight one eight nine two five six six three one. That's eight one eight nine clone one. And, and the voice. Also, yeah, we have an email which I get to read out loud because that's what Greg does, makes me do every single time. Yes, even though you can barely read. <laughs> well, I am from Texas. <laughs> well, at least Greg didn't post it twice in the window, and man, I start reading it and continuing to read the same. <laughs> <laughs> that good old Texas education system. Thank you, Al thank you for that one, Alex White. And sorry you came off sounding a little bit douchey when Zach read it twice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. <clears throat> it says, hi, guys. 
When this show was announced, I was expecting it to be way more high school than it turned out. I thought about Batman Beyond and how it felt like most of Terry's rogues were teachers or bullies from his school. Thankfully, Spectacular seemed to avoid that trap. Isn't the I, new show kind of falling into that trap? Yes. <laughs> oh, dear. I, I, think he mis- I think he mischaracterized Batman Beyond, though. It wasn't really that often that people from his school were were the villains. Yeah, I think um, well, Let's see, there was Spellbinder, who was a school psychologist. There was that coach who stole Bane stuff. And, um, uh, and one of the bullies... This is your ally. Sorry. <laughs> and then there was uh, that bully who turned into a giant cement monster thing. I... Oh, no, that was a kid that Terry Winter was in Juvenile Hall with. It's been a while since I've watched it. Yeah. No, no, but, I mean, uh, it, it, it's not as often as he seems to imply here. Uh, I Continuing our email, I thought it'd be fun to ask if any of you had ever had any teachers believed uh, that could be supervillains under the right circumstances. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've got two, but, um, Zach, do you have any? You can go first on this one. No, I don't really think I have any that, that, uh... I have some... I just have teachers with hilarious names. Uh, <laughs> like, one was named, um... Dick Kalk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it gets better. There was no L. The L was silent. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> his, his, his name was spelled Dick, D-I-C-K, K-A-U-K. His, no kidding, I am not kidding when I say this. This sounds like, this sounds like a, a, like a, a a copy (laughs) pasta joke. Like, this can't be real. (laughs) It's true. I can go get, I I can go provide uh, photographic evidence of this. I met his brother. You can provide photographic evidence of Dick. (laughs) Uh, uh, Oh, Oh, guess what his brother's name was? Oh, no. Johnson? Harold. Harold. Oh, oh Harry, 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 huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! This, this, no, this is a rib. Like you're, you're, you're bullshit. This is, this is not. This is not me BSing. I kid you not. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that I mean, just a hilarious name. But uh, we had this. Uh, uh, I guess. I guess one of my coaches could be a supervillain. Um, but just for his creeper status. But uh, he. he he had a had a he had a voice like this, literally catch the ball. He was the wide receivers coach. He had your yelled. Wide so, <laughs> your wide receivers coach was Doc Brown. It, it, sounded, <laughs> it sounded a lot like Doc Brown. At the time, I didn't put the two and two together. Now it's like money. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so I don't have like I, I don't have any fun ones. I'll let you two. Uh, pontificate about supervillain teachers. I've got two, so Gerard, you go first. Uh, I don't want to say his name for various reasons. I'm going to call him Vinny. Uh, so I had a teacher in high school. Uh, he was a Spanish teacher. His name was uh, Vinny. And uh, boy, was he a bastard. And uh, like, just the most evil guy. He looked evil for starters. Um, oh, is this the? I, I think I know where you're going with this. I think I've I've heard about this guy from you. 
Because he had like uh, he had like bad acne scarring and stuff, and like he kind of just scowled around, and he was kind of just a shifty, suspicious kind of guy. But uh, I remember I, I I never liked him, but I especially grew to hate him forever because he gave us a pop quiz on nine eleven. I'm not kidding. Like everybody's trudging along from class to class, all depressed, and like you know, no one's teaching for the rest of the day and stuff. We get into this guy's class. He's like, "All right, take out your paper. We're having a quiz." I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" Like, everyone failed. <laughs> like we never spoke of it again. It's like, how evil do you have to be to give a quiz after the 9/11 attacks like, in New York? In New York, wow. yeah, yeah. I go to, I, I'm in New York City. I was going to high school. Like, like, wh- what? <laughs> well, what is I, wrong with this guy? We, we had uh, same day, same kind of situation for me. We had 9/11. I I was in football practice with that aforementioned coach, and ironically enough, my second period class was the Calc's class, <laughs> and. I didn't have my glasses that day, and I, 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 I wasn't good at putting my contacts in at the time. Um, like, it was kind of... To learn to touch your eyeball, there was just, like, a disconnect for me for a long time um, to put contacts in. Uh, so we pretty much spent the entire day watching television because we had televisions in our, in our classrooms, except the one class that I had that actually made us do something that day was uh, keyboarding. And basically, it was because she had, like, a schedule, you know, it was regimented, so that way we got through all, learning all the stuff that she was supposed to teach us in the keyboarding class. Yeah, like, nobody wanted to do anything that day. Like, why would you make somebody do that? Like, come on. What the hell? Also, uh, to, to to really throw it in Vinny, at Vinny here, uh, that was only the third day of classes. Like, why was he giving us a quiz already? Good Great lord. Really strange. Yeah, yeah, I, I uh, don't like that. Oh. Okay, and now I've got two. One of these teachers I really liked, one of them I really didn't like. I'll start with the one I liked. Anyway, he was my 12th grade English teacher, and I really liked this this guy. This guy, his name was Dr. Vogel, and uh, Vogel, and he had a car that he parked every day. His license plate said Mr. Blade. And I used to want... Yeah, Mr. Blade. And I used to wonder why. So the first day... It's my senior year. We go into the classroom, and he has all these diplomas behind his desk. His his bachelor's degree, his master's degree, his doctorate. I mean, and of course I'm thinking, what's this guy doing teaching at high school? But he was a really good teacher. I mean, really sarcastic, though. He had a sense of humor that some people couldn't take. I'm a, I'm a bastard, so I could take it. I remember... One of the books he assigned to us was Dracula, Bram Stoker's Dracula. He was passing out these hardcover copies, and someone in the class said something really stupid, and he just started throwing copies of this book at the kid's head. <laughs> wow. Yeah, he would always make fun of the students. He, would, he had a really cutting, razor-sharp wit. I mean, most of us enjoyed it. Some people didn't, but, um, but most of us did. Most of us laughed at it at it, and it was a really cool class. It was 12th grade English, It was he called it dark and light, we read gothic literature for the first half, and then we transitioned into comedy for the second half. I, he showed us the omen in class, you know, the Gregory Peck's The Omen, Damien, The Antichrist? Yes. <laughs> yes. First time I ever saw it, pretty good movie. And, um, 
as after I graduated, I do know that eventually he would continue sarcastic comments, and the super, the superintendent of schools hated him, and apparently he said something to some kid, and the kid went home, complained to their parents, the parents called a lawyer, and they tried to force him out, but apparently he won, and I only found out about this as I ran into him a few years after I graduated when I was working at a local Barnes & Noble. But I'm glad he won that. I know he's retired now. But as for the Mr. Blade nickname, the first day we asked him about this, and he, about because that was his uh, license plate, so he opens his desk drawer, and he pulls out this really old, rusty machete. Oh, wow. And then he proceeds to tell us a story about how he got the machete and the nickname. When he, this is, and it's been over about 20 years since I've heard the story, so, so don't, so this isn't going to be verbatim, but as I recall, he and his friends in college were eating dinner late at night at 2 a.m. in a white castle, and apparently this guy comes in with a machete, and proceeds to stick the place up. And and Mr. Vol- Dr. Vogel gets up, he just walks over to the payphone and dials 911, and then the guy runs out and chucks his machete into the nearest trash can, which is inside, he just runs out. The police apparently never come, because it's a bad neighborhood and it's a white castle at 2 a.m. So about 40 minutes later, the, the attempted robber comes back, and... Vogel is, is sitting on top of the trash can, and his friends are kind of surrounding him, and the guy says, uh, I, I think I dropped something in the trash can. Can you please move so I can get it? Oh, my God. <laughs> and they say no, and they proceed to beat the shit out of this guy, and, to this, and Vogel kept the machete. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That story went in a completely different direction than what I was expecting. <laughs> but yeah, I really like this guy. Uh, so, Zach, what do you make of that one? <laughs> oh, Zach. Ah, uh, that escalated quickly. Uh, that's all I'm going to say is that escalated quickly. Anyway. If uh, that story is even true, but you know what? I'll buy it. I'll buy it. I like the guy. I'll buy it. My, the second teacher I'm going to mention, this guy, I didn't like so much. It was 10th grade, my sophomore year of high school. In 10th grade, you're an asshole. I'm not going to say that I come off well in this story either, but um, I didn't want to take Spanish, I didn't want to take a foreign language class, so I, so they said, so my guidance counselor suggested, okay, just take architectural drawing down there, e- e- easy A, all you have to do is really show up, and there's only about five people in this class, my friend Ron, who was my best friend in high school, good guy, he's a musician now, he, he's from Israel originally, he lives in Vienna, really good guy, he's still like a brother to me, and Two seniors and a junior. So we're all in this class, and Mr. Drek, how do I describe this guy? He, he is this angry <laughs> Italian-American from the Bronx with a voice that sounds, like a, that sounds like that middle spot between Joe Pesci and Cobra Commander. <laughs> also, uh, you, you glossed over this. I need to reiterate. His name is Mr. Drek. He already has yeah. a supervillain name. Yes, Mr. Drack. His name was Mr. Drack. And um, so we're in the class for the first quarter, and he's assigned assign us our, our assignments. We're doing okay. I mean, none of us are, even are pretending we're going to be architects. We're just there for the easy grade. And um, at least what we're told is going to be an easy grade. And we pass it. 
the first quarter. Most of us, it's uh, not. It wasn't an A. He he gave us all pretty much an average of 65, and eventually, which is just passing, so that's a D minus. So it becomes clear pretty quickly he hates us. He hates all of us in his cl- in his class. And but the thing is, this guy's weird. <laughs> he he referred to himself in the third person a lot. <laughs> Oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mr. I missed the D. He would just randomly say that for the first quarter. The second quarter, though, he eventually decided, like I said, that he hated us, and he started assigning us these assignments. And then before we finished them, he would say, "You know what? You're not going to do this assignment at 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 all. You're this is your new assignment." And it would continue like that ad nauseum. And then by the time winter break comes along, we get our report cards. We all, all, everyone in that class received a zero because no work was turned in. What? That was, what? Oh my god. And then, you know, after winter break, there's there's parent-teacher conferences, and he met with my mom at one point, and my mom walked out of that parent-teacher conference. I wasn't there saying, this man really belongs in a sanitarium. <laughs> Greg, I'm gonna stop and, you. I'm gonna stop you here. You can you finish the rest of the story, of course. But uh, the the question is supposed to be posed: somebody who we believed could be a supervillain. Uh, are we sure this guy didn't actually go on to become a supervillain? Are we sure? <laughs> well, let me finish. <laughs> well, let me finish the story. So, talk about and, giggling and, like a mental patient. <laughs> Indeed, indeed. So um, I'm, I'm, so basically, after this, my friend Ryan and I decided we don't give a crap about this class anymore. We're not going to take it seriously. If he's not going to take it seriously, it was the first class after lunch. We had this class twice a week. We would almost constantly start showing up to this class high at this point. Oh my god! <laughs> I didn't say that I come off well with story in this story either. I'm, I'm sorry, I haven't thought about this shit in almost 20 years until this email landed, and we we laughed about it then, I'm laughing about it again <laughs> now. I mean, we all have moments like this that will always be funny to us. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, uh, so, so, uh, so that, wait, 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 we're not quite done yet with the story. Okay. I mean, this guy would... This guy would start screaming at us all the time. He would go from zero to screaming at the top of a hat. The number one thing that he would, that we ever heard him say was screaming, shut up, you know, except with that Joe Pesci Cobra Commander voice. Think about that at the top of his lungs. <laughs> and, and, and like I said, there were only five people in that class. Occasionally there was a sixth one, but any time a new student would transfer into that class, they would leave in less than two weeks. They couldn't take this guy. I think for us, we were still there at that point for the lulls <laughs> of the whole thing, even though he kept failing us all with zeros. As I recall, at one point, he just... <coughs> we <coughs> sorry, I'm, sorry, I'm laughing at this. <laughs> just because I can still picture it. We were talking amongst ourselves, and he just randomly runs into the other room and starts screaming. He grabs himself by the head and throws himself around the shop classroom like a ragdoll. Oh my god, this guy sounds like a genuine lunatic. What the hell? This is starting to go from being funny to being kind of of disturbing. Yeah, 
All right. Uh, on that note, let's continue the vo- the email. Uh, oh, hold on, Zach. You can't just gloss over the fact that you just texted me a photograph of of your yearbook, circling and and pointing out that Dick Cock doesn't indeed exist. <laughs> yes, yes, I did. I sent it to both you and Greg. Yeah. Nice. I also forgot to mention is that after he did that, he just started chopping wood on the bus cell for no reason. <laughs> oh my god! All right. Ooh. Rest of the rest of the email. Rest of the email. There's there's more. I can't get through that without laughing. I'm sorry. There's way more to the story, but it's just I can still picture it all. Uh, <laughs> all right. So um, continuing the voice from where we left off, he says I. Also, I definitely appreciate how diverse the characters on Spectacular are. He wrote art, but I think he meant art. <laughs> well, no, uh, no, he's being he's, he's just being very formal. You see, this guy is from Shakespearean times. Wow, <laughs> he's from Asgard. He's from Asgard. Yeah, <laughs> I never understood why Stanley made them talk like Shakespeare. Anyway, uh, I de- uh, uh, <clears throat> but since it comes up often. Are there any cartoons that you think were or are genuinely racist? Oh, I've got an answer to this one. Well, thank, knows. thanks for the amazing podcast, Joel. I'll, thank I'll you, th- Joel. I know exactly which one you're going to say, Greg. Mainly because you told me before we started recording. Uh, but I'm, I'm just going to throw out the disclaimer. Obviously, we're talking about... We're not including things like World War II era propaganda cartoons, which were genuinely racist by design because it was it, it was intended to be unflattering, particularly towards the Japanese. Like, yeah, <laughs> think things like the you know the Fleischer Superman cartoons and things like that, where he there's that one episode where he fought the Japanese, and, you know, and they're they're the the very stereotypical you know buck tooth yellow skin misosali japanese guys you know like there was a lot of those in cartoons in the 40s we're not talking about that kind of thing i assume but just uh, i had to make sure to bring it up because obviously there are plenty of examples of that indeed and also i'm not going to go on type of things that would be this tumblr sort of thing because what i'm about to talk about is genuinely unfortunate and one of the voice actors actually quit the show they were working on over this. Okay. Okay, this is back in 1986. It was the old Transformers G1 cartoon. It was an episode titled Thief in the Night. Now, I really like this episode. What it did here is a little bit horrendous, and I definitely understand and even applaud Casey Kasem for sticking with guns and quitting over this, but I still enjoy the episode. Okay, this episode was during the third season. It was after the movie, and part of it takes place in this fictional Middle Eastern country called Carbomia. Carbomia. Yes, and it's spelled C-A-R-B-O-M-B-Y-A. That's pretty bad. Oof. Yeah, that hurts. And and it was ruled by... um, this character called Abdul Fakadi, who had the longest title, he had all these medals pinned to him. Okay, I'm looking at the TF Wiki right now. There's a sign here for Carbamia, Carbamia City, population 4,000 people, 10,000 camels. Oof. Yeah, this is what we're in for here. And they're a rich oil nation, and one, a couple of the Decepticons have stopped off and are hiding out in that country. One of them is Trypticon, who is this gigantic Godzilla-sized 
Decepticon. He turns into Decepticon City. The Autobots had Autobot City that turned into Metroplex. The Decepticons had Trypticon. He's this big Mechagodzilla-sized monster. And, um, <clears throat> and so, to keep this, the dictator of this country happy, Trypticon just starts stealing world monuments. Like, he marches into the United States, comes, rises out of the ocean, marches into Kentucky, steals Fort Knox, and then marches back into the ocean and walks all the way back to Carbomia, and nobody notices this. <laughs> nobody sees this. No, well, well, I, well, well, obviously, Greg, I mean, you you wouldn't expect somebody to just rise up out of the ocean, steal Fort Knox in that, in that well-known coastal state of Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> nope. The best part is, is that because Trypticon's a dinosaur, they suspect one of the Dinobots may have done that, so they gather all the Dinobots, and Skylinx, who isn't a Dinobot, but transforms into a giant bird thing, and he's like, why am I here? I'm not a Dinobot, and he's being racially profiled. <laughs> Me, Grimlock, not steal Fort Knox. And apparently this happens later in the episode. Trypticon steals the, tries to steal the Kremlin while the, the Russian... Oh, I'm sorry. It was the Soviet Army in 2006. The Soviet Army. <laughs> Army. And the Autobots are trying to protect it, but nobody sees Trypticon, so they see, think it's all the Autobots. It's just, again, it's a Godzilla-sized monster. In other words, this episode is foolish in addition to being racist. Yeah, but it... But, but it in a funny way, though. I mean, I still find it highly entertaining. So the Decepticons end up taking over the over Carbomia because you know Galvatron's an ass, is a psychotic asshole. He wants to drink all the oil there because he's Galvatron, and they get driven out. The Autobots free the, free Abdul the Dictator, and it ends with Abdul with with um, Rodimus making. Abdul promised to never cooperate with the Decepticons again, and Abdul starts swearing on the grave of his father's camel, his sister's goats, and it just keeps going on and on. I'm going to insert the sound clip of this here, because this is bad. You have saved my country, Rodimus Prime. For that, I would even allow you Autobots to stay here and join my army. No thanks. Keep your offers and just give us back the gold. Ah, yes, the gold. I suppose it does have to go back, does it? Indeed it does. And I need your word that you'll never cooperate with the Decepticons again. Oh, you have my word of honor, Rodimus. In fact, I swear to you on the grave of my mother's camel and my uncle's goat and even my sister's donkeys. And did I say my brother's sheep and my nephew's roosters? Such fine roosters you never did see! So anyway, Casey Kasem was a was one of the voice actors on the show. He voiced Cliff Jumper, and he was of Lebanese descent. And you know, Casey Kasem, he was he voiced Shaggy and Scooby Doo for decades, and he was a nationally syndicated DJ. He had the Countdown, and he was in Ghostbusters for a brief cameo. That's right. And his yeah. and uh, because his wife was at the Louis Tully's dinner party. That is also right. So um, he said, look, please, change this. Change the name of the country. This is racist, or I'm going to quit. They wouldn't, so he quit. Good for him. That is stunningly yeah. car bomb you. Wow. Yeah. The episode is amazing, by the way. I actually do encourage people to check it out. <laughs> Oof. I'm trying to... I don't... 
I, I can't think of any other prime like mainline examples other than infamous things like obviously like you know uh, I, I've gone on rants on Facebook about how racist Peter Pan is <laughs> the Disney version. <laughs> what makes oh, the red yeah. man red? And of, and of course my personal favorite, the crows from the end of Dumbo. <laughs> what what is one of them's name? The lead crow at the end of Dumbo's name is Jim Crow. No, no. There is oh. a there is a character in the Disney animated canon named Jim Crow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not good. So yeah, there there are little infamous examples like that, but uh, I think Greg's was pretty much the perfect storm of an entire sustained episode of of this kind of stupidity. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I remember this guy's line. He would how he would refer, introduce himself. I am the supreme military commander, king of kings, and president for life of the Socialist Democratic Federated Republic of Carbombia. Wow. <laughs> and he had all these medals on his military uniform, and he had to be a takeoff of Gaddafi, I think. I was just going to say, was he supposed to be Gaddafi? Well, his name was Fakati, so... <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is the mid to late 80s, and his name's Fakati. Of course he's supposed to be Gaddafi. Mm. Woof. Yeah. On, on that yeah. positive note, <laughs> thanks for the email, Joel. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thanks again. And, and uh, the email, of course, is spectacularradio at gmail.com. And I'll repeat the voicemail number because it's been a bit of a little bit. 818-925-6631. That's 818 Clone one. If you want to be on the program, of course, we appreciate uh, both our email and our voicemail. And from with that, we'll move on to our bulk of our episode. So, Greg, what episode are we covering this particular? We're covering we're covering the end of the Master Planner arc. And um, before we actually d- do that, this arc was also unofficially called Engineering One Hundred and One. It had the four titles, blueprints, and destructive testing, then reinforcement, then sheer strength, and we never really dive into the titles much, but we have an engineering, a guy with an engineering master's degree right here. Gerard, why don't you um, show some of that stuff off and um, explain these titles to us? Obviously, we know what blueprints means, but... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sorry. That was was weird timing. I was about to say something, and something just got caught in my throat. Uh, Wow, way to put me on the spot, Greg. Uh... (laughs) Uh, okay, so I'll work backwards, because it actually makes a little more sense that way. Uh, sheer strength is like a materials property that describes uh, a material's resistance to being sheared, which is when it, it uh, fails through the cross-section of the material. Think of it like, um, a good example would be like tearing a sheet of paper or something like that, if you want to use a, a really quick example that you can relate to. Uh, Reinforcement is specifically intended to prevent shear strength because certain materials are really susceptible to it, like copper and aluminum and that kind of thing. So, and of course, it's also a pun because Master Planner calls in reinforcements. I'm assuming that's what the whole gag was. Uh, what was the second episode of the arc? I forgot. What was that title? Destructive testing. Oh, destructive testing is the way that you figure out what the actual strength shear tensile etc of a material is so you 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 go through you see how far it can go before it fails and then that's like the ultimate point of that's like your ultimate strength and then everything below that 
you can have like deformation and things like that that lead up to that. And you can also do non-destructive testing. Yes, you can. Just that's what that's you, that's what you do for a living. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Bas- basically, the key thing is that certain materials will give, have a little give, where like they'll be able to maybe bend a little bit and then return to their shape, and then others won't. That's the difference between elastic and plastic deformation. But now I'm starting to turn into a, a science man, so I don't want to do that. <laughs> to be fair, we, we, prob- we probably should have done something like this for the end of each arc, th- arc since they'll have the thematic titles. But to be honest, I don't know enough about any of these, su- most of these subjects to really comment on them, and it would have been hard to, to find some pe- people who knew some a person for each and every one of those subjects. I mean, I'm sure we could have found someone on biology, but um, economics or psychology or whatever. But, yeah, this is this was engineering. The next one is human development. Then we have criminology. Then we have drama. Hmm. But we always have drama. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, onward and upward. Anyway, thanks for that uh, science lesson, Gerard. Actually, that was appreciated. I know nothing about engineering, but it was interesting to listen to. The the I always try to find the the hook of how they relate to the episodes themselves. Reinforcement kind of makes sense. I'm trying to think back to what uh, oh god, what uh, destructive testing was. Oh, that was the Craven episode, right? Yeah. Okay, makes sense because he kind of he, he used a serum on himself and you know et cetera et cetera. He went beyond his point of return, so it was, in a sense, a destructive test. Uh, sheer strength. This that one. could just be a that could just be a pun because Spider Man lifts the uh, the wreckage off of himself with sheer strength. <laughs> we'll get to uh, that, and obviously blueprints being the the beginning of the master planner arc itself. Yep. All right. In the meantime, I've got a summary to read. At his lair, the master planner finally reveals himself as Dr. Octopus, and the reveal just as anticlimactic as the source material. <laughs> oh, we'll get to that. Oh, we will, we will. When Electro musically asks why he didn't escape with him and Craven, Oc responds that the deception was necessary to throw Spider-Man off. At Oscorp, Peter meets with Norman, who introduces him to Morris Bench, Oscorp's demolitions expert, who is in the process of installing a wireless bomb to destroy an old tenement. Osborne tells Peter to get a good seat for the blast, but as Peter leaves, the bomb suddenly activates, with only 30 seconds on the timer. Spider-Man launches Osborne and Bench's safety as the bomb detonates. For God's sake, Peter, stop saving this guy's life! (laughs) You're going to regret it. You really are. Some people are bigger heroes than they are people that think logically. (laughs) Yeah. Doc Ock and Vulture lament their failure to kill Osborne and Spider-Man, but Vulture remarks on Octavius' intention, which allows him to hack into wireless devices and control them in the same way he does his tentacles with success. Ock proclaims that he has already has control over most of New York City and intends to expand his influence to the entire world, while the Tinkerer notes some worrisome power fluctuations during the initial test. At a cafe, Mary Jane continues to play matchmaker for Peter and Gwen, attempting to set them up on a date for New Year's Eve. The Flash and Liz arrive, and as Peter leaves to pick up their order, Gwen laments that Peter's into Liz and not her. Having located Spidey's 
cell, no, having located Gwen's cell phone using its GPS, Ock uses his, his device to wreak havoc with New York's wireless devices, hacking a satellite and sending Midtown's police dispatch on a wild goose chase, and triggering a massive traffic accident outside the cafe. While Peter and the others go to investigate, Electro stuns Gwen and Vulture abducts her. Peter spots Vulture airlifting her and tails Electro's van, causing it to crash. Vulture drops off Gwen and Ock uses her phone to place a call to George Stacy, blackmailing him to grant him access to the global access codes stored at Homeland Security's New York City HQ, which would give him access to computers all over the world. Captain Stacy initially refuses, and when Ock threatens his daughter, he reluctantly agrees. Electro escapes with Spidey captures Tinkerer and threatens to throw him off the roof of a skyscraper if he doesn't tell him where Vulture took Gwen. Mason calls his bluff and Spidey drops him twice, threatening to make the third one final. Tinkerer talks and as Captain Stacy infiltrates Homeland Security, Spidey infiltrates the Master Planner's lair. Ock dispatches Electro to deal with Spidey while Vulture provides a distraction for Captain Stacy by shelling Homeland Security. Stacy infects Homeland Security's computers with a virus that allows Oct to increase his security clearance, enabling him to access the area where the codes are stored. However, Electro accidentally blasts one of his mainframes, and Oct's outburst prompts Spider-Man to keep goading Electro into attacking until the base starts to collapse. At the last second... Captain Stacy demands to talk to Gwen, who has been knocked out by Electro. Ock, his base falling apart, decides to take matters into his own tentacles and confront Spidey himself. Spidey tricks Ock into destroying the server, routing the signals into his brain, forcing him to sever the connection. Ock resignedly congratulates Spider-Man before triggering his base's self-destruct, leaving in an escape pod, and abandoning Electro to die, because Electro's an idiot and deserves it. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> I'm kidding. That escalated quickly. <laughs> Spidey attempts to escape with Gwen, but is pinned beneath a heap of rubble. He initially resigns himself to die, but realizing that Gwen, an innocent, would die as well, he musters his resolve and heaves the rubble aside, taking Gwen and Electro and escaping the base just as it explodes. Ock orders Vulture to retreat, and Captain Stacy crushes Octavius's SD card after getting a phone call from Gwen telling him she is safe. At one minute to midnight, Peter attempts to call Gwen, but Liz Allen shows up at his doorstep and tells him she broke up with Flash to be with him. As the ball in Times Square drops, Liz kisses Peter at the same moment Gwen picks up the phone. Dun-dun-dun. Peter, for sure you idiot! I thought for sure you were going to make it at the same time the ball drops. Uh, Liz kisses Peter and his balls drop. <laughs> I thought you were going for that. I should have. Oh, dear. Uh, <laughs> uh. Peter's second kiss. Congratulations, Peter. And it, and the head cheerleader this time. First a, a, a cat burglar and now a head cheerleader. You're working your way uh, up, dude. That, well, actually, his, uh, his uh, third. Third, third kiss, yeah. right. Why did I forget that one? It's only central to the plot of all of these episodes, Greg. <laughs> it's only the cliffhanger from season one. <laughs> what were you saying before about me flubbing a... a, a a detail from the 90s show. There you go. Yeah that, thing, <laughs> yeah, that thing you said to me a month ago. Oh, right, right. Uh, yeah, the previous episode, yeah. Previous fan panel, what even the previous episode, Gerard, get it right. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, right, right. Fans, how did you enjoy that interview we just recorded with, with Greg Wiseman that we haven't recorded yet? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that you will hear before this. A little pay, no a, the... pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. <laughs> but we finished the first arc. Of Does that mean that Bashansky's got like this enormously large head that, that tri- like shows up on screen? Well, yeah. You ever met him in person? He doesn't have an enormous head. <laughs> Big brain. I can't say I've had the pleasure. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but hey, we, but hey, we finished the first arc of the second season, and it feels a bit like a milestone because every time we finish one of these arcs, I feel a sense of accomplishment, especially for this podcast. I mean, we're getting closer and closer to the end. There's less than ten episodes. Yeah, we're almost there. We're into, we're, into, we're into the single digits. Oh my goodness! I never even thought of that. Mm-hmm. I guess I'll, I guess I'll go first talking about this episode. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, you're the biggest Stockhawk fan I know. Yeah, and I also have nothing good to say about this one. <laughs> okay, yeah. Oh um, no! You guys are gonna yeah yeah. I'm going there. I didn't like this one. Um, okay. So, Greg mentions that it is similar to the comics, but. They just dispense with the whole idea that this is any kind of a mystery and just immediately reveal who the master planner is in the most underwhelming way possible, which is a huge disappointment because it's like, okay, yes, it was like that in the comics, but you have the opportunity to improve on it when you're adapting things. You don't have to do it the same way. And I felt like, I felt like we were robbed of a moment there that could have been interesting if they had done it better. But instead, they decided to to stick to the source material, I suppose. Um, as for the plot of the episode itself, I <laughs> I'll read you word for word what I have here in my notes. I put I wrote down borderline mid nineties flibbity jib technological nonsense because that pretty much describes what's going on with Doc Ock and it, it's like Zach. Remember in the Clone Saga how we always make fun of every time virtual reality or some sort of robot thing comes up. <laughs> It's, it's, it's basically the same thing here, where it's just like, it's not exactly virtual reality or whatever, but it's it's more flibbity jib. It's computers, they're magic, you know, that kind of thing. I hate that when it comes up in, in comics. I hate it even more in animation, to be honest. This is terrible. What were they thinking? Um, because the pro- part of the problem is that it takes away a lot of the tension that the actual original story had. The reason the original story is a classic is because it is a like a tense and exciting story that has like a really good pace to it. And the reason why this version doesn't hold even half of a candle to that one is because this doesn't have that tension or excitement behind it. And I felt like a lot of it is just set walking through the paces, you know what I mean? The the bit at the end where the where the wreckage falls on him is a really good example of this where that scene is only in there because they're doing a master planner scene in an underwater base and they have to put it in there. But, like, it's resolved in, like, a minute. It's ridiculous. Like, the thing drops on him. He's like, oh, well, I guess I'm done. Oh, wait, no, I'm not, because Gwen throws it off of himself. It's like, what? You completely missed the point of the original scene. I'm shocked that these guys would have done it so poorly. Um, And, and just generally speaking... Can, the, can, I interject, can, I, can I interject there? I mean, granted... The episode's the final product, but apparently there was about another minute's worth of footage there, which it did show, which was cut for time. Okay. Still, the the edit that they release as the episode is poor. Maybe they should have made a cut somewhere else to keep that in. Um, well, last note that I have written here is that the, the design of the underwater base itself is kind of bland and uninteresting. I, I was expecting something a little better. Um, 
I, I think they it's too open air, you know what I mean? Like, it's just a giant space with some stuff on the sides. They needed to make it more dense and confused, you know, with a lot of piping and wiring and things like that. That would have made it a little more interesting, a little more cat and mouse. But they didn't want to do that. They wanted to just have him fight Electro in that seat and then have him fight Ock with the tentacles and stuff. So, I don't know. It just, it just translated into having a kind of unoriginal and, and bland look to it. And that kind of describes what's wrong, what how I feel about this episode in general is that it's just, it's, it's like there's a song that you really love. And then like another band does a cover version of it, but it's not nearly as good because they hit all the notes and stuff like that, but it doesn't have any of the heart or passion behind it. I I felt like that watching this episode where it's like, it, it gets the, some of the beats, but there's just no, oomph to any of it you know it's just it's flat it doesn't come across the way it should but i'm sure you guys will disagree with me so i'm just gonna sit back and uh listen to what you have to say about it you know i get where you're coming from i sympathize and understand where you're coming from i enjoyed the episode though a lot more than you did and while i do agree that the reveal of the master planner's identity was a bit lame could have been done a lot better I probably wouldn't have traded that because I enjoy the interplay between the villains in this. I like seeing that they're that like Ock and Vulture on a first name basis with one another. I kind of like watching the villains hang out together while they're plotting evil. True, although you still could get that if you do the reveal early in the episode, but less anticlimactically. I guess that's true. I mean, but it's um like I said, I, I just like the interplay between them and. I love all the little touches in this episode. Jennifer Quayle directed this, and she always throws little touches into her episodes. She directed most of the Doc Ock episodes, and I read an interview once where she referred to Doc Ock as her evil boyfriend. She loves the character. She's He's her favorite villain, and I think it shows in her direction of the episode, because she did a lot of dynamic stuff with Ock, at least I thought so. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I probably should have pointed that out myself. Well, you still have time to make other points. We'll get to them. We're, we're, the podcast is still young, and I <laughs> loved the. And it's going to be. The, and for those of you who are listening, you already know it's the cover of this episode. I love the evil genius coffee mug. It's one of those things where you it you almost shouldn't be able to get away with it, but yet you do. I just love that he's Ock is drinking out of a coffee mug that says "Evil Genius." I wonder who bought that for him. <laughs> Oh, come on, like, he didn't make that for himself. <laughs> he stole it. <laughs> and that little note in, in the coffee maker, uh, be tidy, clean up after yourself, or whatever it said, that was another nice little touch also. Be kind, rewind. <laughs> I wonder how many people know what that means anymore. Uh, by, by the way, I <clears throat> sorry, I didn't mean to not... I, I know where he got that cup. He got it at Macy's. <laughs> I mean, I mean that's 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 the best place to get that cup. Was it Macy's? I mean, it just wait, wait, so wait. Are, 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 are you implying that when Spider-Man was having that fight in the previous episode, it, it went on Christmas Eve or whatever it was, that he had he had one of the Sinister Six steal a mug for him? <laughs> hey, you know, I mean, it it, it could be you know cheeky. You know, some, one of those cheeky little... It was probably on the clearance rack, because no, who, I mean, who really wants to buy a mug that says Evil Genius on it? I but, do. You know, Greg I mean, Bishansky does. Well, that's because Bishansky is a, is a, is a well, 
Great Bashansky's a, a sociopath. So. <laughs> it was Electro because hey, hey Doc, look what I got for you. Oh yeah, he, he's so desperate for Doc Ock's approval. I can totally see it. <laughs> it makes sense. Or like one of the goons was like sitting there saying, "I want superpowers." Maybe Doc Ock will give me some superpowers if I give him this mug. Meanwhile, Ox henchmen who may or may not have been working for the cat in the last episode. Damn it, Stan! <laughs> who gets that? That's reference? right. That's right. That's right. Because then the same goons like switch allegiances inexplicably in mid story. Stan forgot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Stan. Well, that was that was about that was around the time where he and uh, Dicko had kind of stopped communicating anyway. So you could tell the little things like that started to get slipped through. Yeah, but I really enjoy this episode. There's a lot I like about this episode. And this episode, just for the record, I know it aired in the states after, but I saw it and can't. I, I watched it, quote unquote, not legally, from the when Canada aired it when back in January of. Um, January, February of of 2009. This is months before issue 600 came out, where Ock there pretty much did something very similar by taking control of everything in Manhattan. This is much better than that. Uh, I, I, hang on, hang on. I, I'm going to bring up a point to that. So, stay tuned. All right, we'll get to that. But, and, but the funny thing is, I remember months later when the issue 600 came out and Greg was still hoping that he would get a season 3 so we were still reading the comics read 600 and I said did you notice similarities and he said yeah I did <laughs> maybe it was coincidence so maybe, here's I my conspira- here's my conspiracy theory yes because if if you if you read Dan Slott comics whatever Dan Slott is watching at the time he's writing the scripts usually bleeds into uh, like whatever's playing in the background when he's writing the scripts uh, bleeds into his comics. So, like, when he... Yeah, oh, hold, on, hold on, I gotta stop you right there. You're being overly generous by implying that he's not stealing from it. <laughs> I mean, I mean, anybody that's read Silver Surfer and watched Doctor Who... Coincidence? <laughs> uh, Any, a- anyway, anyway, continue. Uh, so, so, my conspiracy theory is is that he was on the YouTubes and he was watching the Teletoon uh, rip from uh, from Canada. And he's like, man, that's a really good idea. And so, like, Wacker's, like, doing his best Jonah impression. <clears throat> what? I need a script for 600 now! And, um, because apparently Slot, Steve, Steve, <laughs> Slot, Steve Wacker is uh, J. Jonah Jameson. And so he's like, oh, look, idea. Hmm, this is a great dog plot. Because this is pretty much the same plot as ASM 600. So... Outside the Master Planner stuff, the only difference is, is that Slot's like, oh, my genius will have him become this old, decrepit person, and he'll be like a diaper dog. Yeah, where did the diaper come from? Who do we blame for that? Uh, that, uh, that was Slot. That was, <laughs> 600. that was Slot in 600. He wrote, he wrote in the, the story that apparently all the punches that uh, he's taken from Spider-Man over the years have, have damaged him neurologically, which completely ignores the fact that he was in a resurrected body that he was in since the late 90s. But, <clears throat> but all, I, the years, all the years of accumulated damage wouldn't have existed because they were showing scenes from like the 60s and, and claiming that that was what damaged Doc to the point where he is now. Shh, don't speak. Once again, the master of continuity, self-proclaimed, made another <laughs> huge continuity error. 
It, it's almost like this guy is some kind of charlatan or something. Yeah. Speaking of continuity and referencing things from continuity, Agent Wade and Agent Briggs. That oh, pure. yeah. Zach, I'm sure you have yep. a lot to say. Go on. Uh, so, uh, so, those that don't know... The only problem I have with Agent Wade and Briggs is that they were gender or they were uh, uh, racially swapped because Briggs was actually black and Wade was white instead of vice versa. But in the show, uh, Wade's, uh, Wade and Briggs are two FBI agents from that fantastic story called Virtual Mortality and Cyber War. Now, these two stories appeared in the uh, retitled Amazing, Spectacular, Adjectiveless, and The Web of Scarlet Spider, issues one and two, so you can go back and check those. Also, uh, Joe Wade was the uh, antagonist in Nightmare on Scarlet, which was New Warriors 67, 68, or excuse me, 68, New Warriors 68, and uh, Web of Scarlet Spider number three and four. So... If you want to hear more about those episodes, see Clone Sire Chronicles, and I'm double-checking my, my, uh, my podcast here. This will take, this, take five minutes. Isn't there another no, no, title? No. Well, uh, no, like, uh, you can, I, I talk about it in episode 55. We talked about it on... Uh, didn't that story cause somebody rage? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> episodes 35 and 36 were the, where we covered Cyber War, and then uh, episode, no, episode 33 was uh, Scarlet Spider Unlimited number one. That was a different. That was different. But uh, episode 31 of Scarl of uh, Scarlet Spider of Clone Saga Chronicles is where we uh, covered Virtual Mortality. So if you want to hear more, check out those episodes only on the Spidey Dude Radio Network. That story is bad. That story is very bad. You know, ama- and you know what's amazing? We still think that clone conspiracy was worse than that. <laughs> <laughs> we, we made that consensus. We said clone conspiracy is the worst thing we've ever covered on Clone Sire Chronicles. We all agreed. <laughs> we never thought. We never thought that, that those two months of books could ever be topped. We never thought that maximum clonage could be topped. We never thought that Mary Jane getting hit by her husband could be topped. But no, (laughs) no, no, it got topped by the failure that was the clone conspiracy. I love pimping your guys' other shows on here, and while you're at it, we need to, you guys all need to listen to Mayday Monday so you can encourage this gentleman here, Mr. Gerard, to record more of those. It's a, good, it's a great show, Gerard. More! <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Talk about putting you back on the spot. <laughs> and now I'm, okay. to- I'm, I'm okay with it, as long as you guys temporarily forget that I trashed the episode we're talking about. <laughs> Well, you said you had some other points there, though. I mean, Gerard, did you have any positives about it? Um, Yeah, I like the animation in the episode. That's always a consistent, strong point of the show. Uh, Of course, I always like seeing Doc Ock in a central role. Although, to be honest, I'm kind of iffy on uh, McNichols' performance in this episode. I feel like he goes a little too far into the, 
I'm now talking grovelly because I'm a super, super villain, where it's like, okay, calm down with that. <laughs> you don't need to do that. If you miss something um, that's over the top screaming, wait till gang lands. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, no, no, no. It was uh, good stuff, though. But uh, go on. Uh, I'm trying to think of something. Oh, um, it was always, it's always good to have a little extra George Stacy because I like this version of him. Me too. And, uh, and uh, I, I think I... I'm kind of winging it here because I hadn't written any of this down, but uh, I'll probably think of something else. But well, anyway, uh, Zach hasn't given his thoughts on this one yet. Yeah, Zach, what did you think? Well, okay, so when in, in Spider-Man comic books lore, this particular episode had one specific scene that has been oft-repeated many of times. Yeah. Uh, where basically, pardon my French, Spider-Man lifts heavy shit. And sometimes it's well executed, sometimes it's not. This, I felt like, was executed okay. I felt like there should have been more heavy shit on top of Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, I like the fact that it made his costume rip when he's, you know, using, using the muscles. Yeah, you know, he's got the skin tightly atop, and he's, like, pushing out, and he pushes the muscles and everything. Yeah, that was, uh, I like that touch. Um, I like that it, it, you know, it, it basically gassed him completely. Um, and he's just like, okay, okay, high school chick, that's just, that's just a good science person. I just need you to, to use the pod. Don't touch the, don't touch the sparky guy. Okay. <laughs> um, the fact that Gwen was able to operate a, uh, an escape pod was kind of impressive. Also kind of like unbelievable, but you know, plot. Uh, I was going to say, if you buy impressive, you mean a massive plot hole, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, I think that I thought that I I agree with Gerard that that literally like the beginning of the episode, the mystery that's been building for like the last two episodes is just like, oh, hello, Master Planner. Hello, I'm here. I'm Dr. Otto Octavius. I'm like, wait, no, uh. Uh, yeah, I agree with Gerard on that because I think I think that's a bit a bit of a cop out. I I would have rather them reveal halfway through the third episode. You know what I mean? I would have I would have liked to have um, kept the mystery going a little while longer, and then when he finally says, you know, hearing him with the distorted voice saying, "If you want to get something done, you do it yourself," and then all of a sudden. Boom! Otto Octavia shows up. Like that would have made a little bit more impact, I think, to me. Um, I did like the interplay between. Uh, however, I do like the interplay between the, between the villains, especially. I thought that was well done. And but anyway, I, I liked how uh, I liked how Tinker was used in this episode. Felt like he was used well, and um, he probably was. Um, I liked how I liked how Peter was like no prisoners, no nonsense approach when he's like throwing a guy off the side of a building. He's like, oh yeah, there's a Spider-Man I know I love. Like, don't mess with his girlfriend. Norman, don't mess with his girlfriend. <laughs> except except, except that she's not his girlfriend. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. My bad. Cause, My bad. Because I, I didn't even... Have we even mentioned that at the end where uh, Liz is the one who... Yeah, oh, yeah. Liz, well, Liz... In the recap. We'll get there. Liz suddenly... She becomes... Uh, like... Like why? We'll go. We'll we'll get into that more as the season progresses. This is a major subplot, but um, but yeah, I mean, well, here's my problem. Like, like, 
I get that this is also kind of portraying the teenager as like, you know, can't make up their mind, whatever. Um, but Liz suddenly doing a face yield her girlfriend style. Kind of just kind of was like, mm, there was no build-up to it. Like, I mean, yeah, I felt like the build-up was kind of there in other episodes, but, like, when she flatly sits there and says, and does a, the, the equivalent of a, of a relationship stiff arm to Peter Parker in the face, like, last episode, uh, this episode's like, oh, suddenly I broke it off with Flash. Would you be my boyfriend? <laughs> <laughs> if, if this was a different kind of show, the episode would have ended with "I I left Flash" would be like "Too bad, hit the road, bitch," or something, something ridiculous like that. It would have been a downer thing. Well, it could have always ended with Betty Brant going completely insane after she sees a bandaid on Peter's face. <laughs> 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 yeah. yeah. Go back to the original Master Planner story, people. Go read it. <laughs> yes, yes, where she finally loses her ever loved mind. And has, like, we, the we, line. We, we should mention that more, though. Like, go go read the comics. What is it? Issues 31 through 33 of Amazing yeah. Spider Man. Yeah. The fir- first um, volume. Yeah, first volume. Uh, I would, I mean, you, if you've got, uh, like, Comicsology Unlimited, you can read it, I think, there with the Masterworks. You definitely can read it if you've got Marvel Comics Unlimited for, I think it's like $69 a year, and um, you get the entire first volume of Amazing, the second volume, the third volume, fourth volume. Yeah, you, you don't need all that crap, though. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you, get, you get the entire run of Amazing Spider-Man, and you can read it on there in glorious high-quality uh, high color. Good stuff, everyone. Go read it. And, you know, we were we were talking about the reveal of Vok and how anticlimactic that was. Wait till a few episodes from now when we find out that the Green Goblin is Bernard the butler, and we find that out when he comes out of the shower using the mask as a washcloth. <laughs> it could be worse. He could just randomly appear to Harry in what may or may not be a hallucination. <laughs> but, um... I understand and I agree with both sides of the argument when it comes to the Ock reveal. On the other hand, yeah, it could have come much later. It would have been a lot more impactful. On the other hand, I like the interplay with the villains, so um, I'm going to be indecisive on that one. I under- I agree with both arguments on that one, and I would have liked it either way it went, da- it went down. But um, there is a moment I do like when they almost lampshade the an- how anticlimactic it is and when Spidey shouts, don't sign your work, Dr. Octopus, and Dr. Octopus like, yes, Spider-Man, it's spectacularly clever that you have guessed the truth after I revealed it to you. <sighs> We're not going to agree on this one, Greg. We're just not. That's okay. I mean, what's the point of having a panel if we all agree on everything? All right, so let I deliberately did not give a grade for this one yet. <laughs> So we're, we're, what are we what are we doing here? We're, who's going first? <laughs> I am going to give this a B minus. You go next, Gerard. Sorry, I was having a, a gastro incident there. I wasn't being indecisive. Uh, I'm going to give this one a. Yeah, I'm gonna give something like a D plus. I, I didn't like it. 
All right, I'm going to give this one a Woo! B. I'm going to give this one a B. I had, I had fun the, with it. Is this the lowest grade that we've gotten on the show? Uh, no, I, 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 I'm sure I gave uh, the second to last episode of season one a much worse grade than that. I think I might have given that one an F, actually. You didn't, you didn't give it an F. Oh, okay. Well, I might have given it somewhere in the same range, then. Like a D-plus, maybe. I don't know. That 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 one that one's my least favorite episode, so I probably gave that one lower grade. Yeah, but I really do like this one, but I do agree that there's some things that could have been executed better. I do agree that I would have liked to have seen more debris on the guy. It is one of the most iconic scenes in the comics, and for good reason, and one of the most lifted. Have any other adaptations done that scene? Oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> Every I know Spider-Man Two did. Yeah, did, Spider-Man uh, Two did, did it. Did the nin- '90s show do it? I'm trying to remember specifically. I don't believe there's like a. But for some reason, the one I'm remembering is from Batman Beyond. They did it in there. Uh, <laughs> it's just a weird. One. Well, to be, well, to be fair, they mostly stole crap from Spider-Man and just relabeled it as Batman. Yeah, exactly. That's the reason I included that one. Um, this is where my bad memory doesn't help me because I'm sure they probably did, but it wasn't as it wasn't as on the nose as this version was. Yeah, uh, I can't remember. Curse you, poor memory. Zach, you watched the show. Did Ultimate Spider-Man do it? Not to my knowledge. Now let's talk about. Although they did adapt Planet of the Symbiotes and tried to do a clone saga, but did it crappily. Still, the wow. Oh, yeah, they also had Spider-Girl show up, except it wasn't Spider-Girl. It was just a gender-swap Spider-Man. Yeah, it was Pete uh, Petra Parker. I'm so glad that show is over. I hope the new one is better. The new one looks it, like ass. It, it won't be. It's going to be the same team-up concept. Uh-oh. Except it's more like Web Warriors with a new coat of paint. Get it? Except, except again, no Spider-Girl, because why? Well, there is a Spider-Girl. She's just known as Spider-Woman, and her name is Spider-Gwen. Hey, I could have seen Spider-Girl eventually existing on this show de- a few decades from, a couple decades from when this takes place. <laughs> um, can, can I get a, a little blue and off-topic for a second? Of course. Am I the only one that's fucking infuriated that Spider-Gwen made it to animation before Spider-Girl did? No. Okay, just wanted to make sure. I'm annoyed. Because that, that, that's, a, that's a heap of grade-A Bravo Sierra right there. I don't... I, uh, uh. <laughs> fuck those showrunners and fuck everyone who watches that shit. Yeah. All right. When I think of that moment, though, what? Let's all the times the comics have used it. Final chapter used it when Peter was holding up the Daily Beagle. One of the thousand times he quit. Yeah. Oh my God. We we can't even recount the amount of no. times they've done that in the, in the comics. They, they did that in the clone. Remember, they did that in Clone Saga because I, I I talked about how. It was, uh, they structured it so it was a metaphorical passing of the torch because, like, Ben was lifting that burden off of him because Ben Ben helped him uh, take all that heavy crap off of him. And then there was that uh, Wade story with Shocker that introduced J. Jonah Jameson Sr. Um, You had that story uh, where, uh, uh, during the JMS run, where Peter goes to Los Angeles and the... the and they dropped, like, the warehouse on him or whatever. Yeah, and Aqua's in that one also. Yep. Uh, Let's see. One other thing to point out, it, this, is the la- 
Well, Vulture shows up a couple more times after that. This is Robert England's last episode of the show. Oh, he, he has no voice the next couple of times, or is it someone else? Yeah. No, no, no dialogue. Hmm. He's there, but he's not an integral part of the plot. He's just there working with Ock. Uh, and two more episodes. Episodes. So, um, goodbye, Freddy Krueger. You did a great job as Vulture. <laughs> what? <Yep. laughs> and the only person that might outdo you in terms of doing Vulture justice will probably be Michael Keaton. We'll uh, hold on, I'm, sh- I'm shaking my eight ball. It says probably a no. <laughs> no, I, I like Michael Keaton like, a lot, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. Keaton is like we'll the see. one thing that's like keeping me like I think he's going to probably end up stealing the show. Well, geez, we're going to go completely off topic. How awesome that trailer for the Spider-Man PS4 game look! Oh I haven't God. seen it yet. Holy dude, dude, it, it it wasn't a trailer. That, that was one of the only games they straight up just showed like a mission, like they just showed gameplay. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And hey, better use of Mr. Negative than the comics ever got. <laughs> That's what I've heard anyway. No kidding. Oh, well, and then, and then they had Miles Morales show up at the end, and I'm like, God damn it, they better not do that. They better not have a gimmick where you play as both of them in this game, because then I'll be pissed. Also, it's not coming out until you 2018. Know, yeah, you know that's happening, A. And B, boo on the 2018 thing. Boo! It, oh my god! Oh, boo yourself! <laughs> I want to. I want. I want to play it tomorrow. It looks that good. <laughs> yeah, it does look good. And I have been. I, I have been pl- replaying the the Spider Man games recently, like the PS2 era ones. I want Spider Man two right now. And it, it occurred to me, I was kind of surprised. Did Spec Spidey ever get any kind of game? I don't think it did. No, no, it didn't. Not even like a. Because I'm thinking, like, usually you get, like, a crappy, like, Nintendo DS game, at least. But I don't think it even got that. It got nothing. Ugh. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. I'm, and, I'm of sure course, and, of course, Spider-Man and, got plenty. and, of course, thanks to licensing, you're never going to see this version of Spider-Man even as, like, an alternate costume or something. No, and that's, and that bothers me. I mean... Actually, you know what? I, actually, I take that back. Because the next... Spider-Man game is a Sony exclusive, and Sony's publishing it, I believe. So it's entirely possible they could throw a Spec Spidey costume in there because they we could. They own to, the. We need oh, to. Oh, we need to find oh, out, dude. Like, that would be yeah. sweet. Yeah. Oh, they reference Spec Spidey quite a bit. I mean, uh, apparently there's two Shockers in Homecoming. One is Herman Schultz, and one is Montana. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Really. And, um, uh, although you know what, I take that back because um, and Liz being a primary love interest is straight out of Spike Spidey. Is is there anything else to discuss about this episode, Zach? Do you have any other points to make? Nope, I'm good. Yeah, I mean, most of we discuss is an adaptation of the original. I mean, there are a lot of moments in that I like. I mean, it's and God knows, I mean, I like this episode way more than Gerard does. I think we can all agree it's better than issue six hundred. <laughs> oh. God, yes. The only <laughs> good thing the- about issue 600 was the fact that John Romita Jr. drew it, and even then it wasn't like John Romita Jr. at his peak. No, nope. no, that was John Romita Jr. under the gun. I remember an issue, I remember an interview he did with, like, Newsarama maybe two weeks before the issue was going to come out, and he was still working on it. He still yeah, had, like... kept adding pages. Yeah. He still had, like, a dozen pages to do, and considering the printing process, that means he only had a week. Because you need to have it at the printer yeah. a week before release. So yeah. 
this guy had to draw 12 pages in a week just to make it the death. It's like, don't put someone under that kind of gun because you're just going to well, get crap out of it. I, I mean, honestly, it was one of those things with... Well, we can get into this after we get done with the episode. Um, I have to apologize for being kind of harsh on this one because I find that lately I've actually kind of... Like, I, I, it's weird. I haven't tabulated any of this stuff, but I feel like I've given most of the episodes lower than I expected because overall I really like the show, but I see now that I'm diving into individual episodes, I find that a lot of the, the individual episodes I dislike. This is strange. I'm sure I w- I'm sure someone um, I'm, who I'm not going to name, <coughs> Big Al, probably has like an ongoing list of <laughs> of our grades and things like that, and they can fact check me on this. But I have a feeling my average would probably be around a C somewhere. But overall, I think this is a very significant episode. I liked it a lot, but I also find that there isn't really that much to say about it. I enjoyed the a- most of the action sequences. I like the interplay between the characters. I mean, I like Electro being an idiot, despite the shit I was giving him earlier. I mean, Electro was never the brightest, and I like Ock in this, and I really like, um, I know Gerard agrees with me, I like... I like McNichols' more subtle performance in this one, especially compared to some of the over-the-top supervillain goofiness, which is which I say in a good way that it's coming up later. I, I, I feel like the, I feel like the strongest thing I have to say about this episode is really just to recommend to go back and read the original Master Planner arc because it is really tense, exciting, classic comic book storytelling. It is. It is. There's a reason that it's usually top three. And Spider-Man mm-hmm. stories of all time, and you can tell the, the team that made the show is a huge fan, are huge fans of that particular story. I, I and if you want to hear more of us, uh, more of us talking about it with a certain Mister Wiseman, go back and listen to the previous episode if you haven't already. Which we may or may not have recorded already. <laughs> we haven't, <laughs> but you'll hear it first. You'll hear it first. Yes, because that's that's the structure of the show, Pashansky. Come on. Anyway, if you want to uh, be a part of the program, there's always there's two distinct ways you can do it. You can leave us a voicemail at 818-925-6631. Or you can leave us an email, spectacularradio at gmail.com. Now, if you leave a voicemail, be sure to keep it under three minutes. And, and or you can leave another voicemail after that. It's fine. Uh, be sure to mention what show you're leaving the voicemail for. All right, guys. With that, we'll see you next time. Here well, on the- well hold, hold on, Zach. There's another way. If you want to get a handwritten letter, you send it to 2205. <laughs> <laughs> I do this gag every time, and I swear. It's like uh, a surprise every time. <laughs> the only reason that John has my address is because he sent me stuff in the past, and he's got me in his little Rolodex over there. Anyway, uh, with that, we'll see you next time here on the Spidey Dude Radio Network. Sandman's back next time. Come back and listen. Like sands in the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. Kilo Khan lives inside computer circuits. With the help of Malcolm Frink, he creates megavirus monsters to attack electronic systems. Meanwhile, a freak accident turns Sam Collins into Servo. His friends join forces in their samurai's attack vehicles. Together, they transform into the superhuman samurai cyber squad. Superhuman samurai. 
Spider-Man. It's spectacularly clever of you to have guessed the truth. After I revealed it. <laughs> <laughs> 